Good morning, church. It's good to be with you. If we haven't met yet, my name is Dave. So excited to be here this morning, and um, I'm, uh, I'm encouraged this morning. I'm coming uh, from a week away. Uh, my wife and I were in Columbus, Ohio uh, this past week. Now, Columbus isn't that exciting. Nothing like no knock on Columbus. We just didn't spend much time in, actually, the city of Columbus. We were in a conference center, and we were with um, like 500, over 500 like church planters from all over uh, kind of the Midwest at this uh, gathering that we um, try and make it to and we can. Uh, one of the reasons we make it to it or try and go to it is because it is such an encouragement to hear and find out what God is doing um, across our region. Uh, the Send Network is one of the partners that we partner with for church planting. Um, we planted the church down in Monroe through the Send Network and we were planted. That was one of our partners in planting here. And so um, anyways, was with uh, these church planters all week and just hearing what God is doing and God is moving. Um, he is building his kingdom. And I think sometimes, you know, that's for me, that was just a huge encouragement. I just kind of pass that encouragement on. It's like, I think it's so easy to have your head down and kind of, you know, worried about your home, your street, this church, this city, you know, what's happening here. And God for sure is doing things here, uh, but to be reminded that he's, he's working not just across our country, but across this planet. And he's building his kingdom and he's doing some incredible things. And that begins in our hearts, in our homes, in this church, in this city, and, and some of the things that he's, he's actively uh, doing. So we have some great partners that we get to partner with, and, and uh, I was just so encouraged uh, this week. So I'm kind of coming back from that and so excited to get into God's word this morning. Um, if I could, uh, I, I would love to just kind of provide my little plug for the marriage uh, retreat as well. It's a one-day you know, kind of conference, and um, you know, Brie already mentioned it. She did a fantastic job. If I could just kind of add my uh, sort of pastoral nudge, my hope would be that if you're married and this is your church home that you are there. Um, we are just, we want to have strong marriages in our church. And um, if, if, if this is one of the things that can serve that, it's not certainly not the only thing, but again, it's just, it will be good to be in the room together in this way. And as she already mentioned, um, if you've got somebody, a neighbor, friend, um, uh, a family member, you know, that could be served by this as well, please take advantage of it. And part of the reason for my pastoral nudge is just that you sign up sooner than later. The team that's putting that on would love to kind of know no, and so um, some of you are already planning on it, but you're like, you think it's like cool to like wait till the last minute. Don't. I mean, just, just like sign up sooner than later. We'd love to have you um, there for that. We want to make sure we have all of the details and everything kind of in place, and it just helps us to provide a better, um, a better day. But um, there's going to be a ton of great uh, material content, and again, as, as Bree said, I mean, it's it's for it's for everybody. And so if you've been married um, a few years, if you've been married for 30 years, if you've um, been uh, your, your marriage is great, if it's if it's struggling, like there's there's going to be things that you're going to walk away with and um, just kind of being in that room together. We're encouraged by that. And I would hope, whether married or not, that you're praying for the marriages of our church. We want to see strong homes, strong families, and uh, marriage certainly is a big part of that. And so we want to um, be praying for, uh, for that. And then the last thing, this doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about this morning, but I just feel like it's the elephant in the room that we have to acknowledge. Like, what's happening tonight with this weather, okay? Is this really going to happen? Like, come on. Like, it was such a beautiful week. You know, we had all this sunshine. And, um, and it was, it's been incredible. And now they're saying that white stuff is coming back. So all of you guys that already like put away your snowblower and got out your lawnmower, <laughs> you forgot you live in Wisconsin, right? I was hoping we were going to avoid the post-Easter snow, but um, looks like that's happening. Or it's not. Who knows? Our, our, weather, our weather guys this year feels like more than ever, they're just like, you know, kind of 
whatever is going to happen. So my hope is this. Let's fill our cups today. Let's be really encouraged in the Lord today. And then that'll just kind of carry us through. And summer is coming, okay? It is going to happen. And when it comes, it's beautiful. It's awesome here. So anyways, I'm excited to get into God's word this morning. If you have a copy of scripture, take it out. Uh, You can open up to the book of Hebrews this morning. Uh, We are going to start a brand new series in the book of Hebrews. If you were with us for Easter, Good Friday, you know that we were in Hebrews. Here's the thing. I've been thinking, praying, wanting to preach through Hebrews for a while. And then, um, you know, the theme and kind of as we were planning the Easter and Good Friday service landed on Hebrews. And I was like, man, there's so much good stuff here. And so um, take out your Bible, open Hebrews. If you don't have a Bible, you can find one underneath one of the seats in front of you. We are going to start a series walking through this book of the Bible, this letter uh, that we find in our New Testament. And um, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but maybe you can kind of answer this question in your head. Uh, for many of us, you know, Hebrews is one of those books, if we're honest, that we, we know some of, the, like, some of the key verses or some of the like, you know, important passages. Like I, I think of the faith chapter. You know, it talks about all the heroes of the faith, right? There's some, some, great, um, some great verses that we quote or verses that we've memorized out of Hebrews. But, but it, the book as a whole like to really kind of walk our way through it in an intentional way. My guess is that for many of us, we maybe it's been a long time or we never have spent a ton of time in the book of Hebrews. It's kind of unique when it comes to the other epistles. It's not written like the other epistles. It kind of reads at times more like a sermon and that may have been where it kind of came from, was more out of a, a sermon than, than some of the other letters that we, we have. But in this book, it is actually really, really helpful in timely things. I think one of the reasons that we kind of look at it and maybe dismiss it as relevant to today is there's so much reference to some of the things we looked at even this weekend, like the Jewish, the temple and the sacrifices and some of the, um, you know, the prophets and, 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 and the fathers of the, the, the Jewish faith is, is really a predominant theme in here. And so maybe we make the mistake of sort of writing it off. But I found one commentator that described it this way, and maybe this will help to sort of frame up what we're going to be seeing um, here in the book of Hebrews uh, together. Uh, The the commentator is Tom Long, and he says this, uh, the preacher, that's who he calls the author. Again, it's kind of more like a sermon than than just a regular epistle, but the preacher is not preaching um, to a vacuum. Uh, He is addressing a real and urgent pastoral problem, one that seems astonishingly contemporary. His congregation is exhausted. They are tired. They are tired of serving the world. They're tired of worship. They're tired of Christian education. They're tired of being peculiar and whispered about in society. They're tired of the spiritual struggle. They're tired of trying to keep their prayer life going. They're tired even at times of Jesus. Their hands droop. Their knees are weak. And attendance is down at the church, and they are losing confidence The threat to this congregation is not that they are charging off in the wrong direction. They don't have enough energy to charge off anywhere. The threat here is that worn down and worn out, they will drop their end of the rope and will simply drift away. Tired of walking the walk, many of them are considering taking a walk and leaving the community and falling away from the faith. Now, my guess is um, that it, you know, you're here today that, that maybe, maybe for some of you, this might be a little bit of your kind of story. Maybe in some ways, maybe you don't relate to everything, but maybe there's parts that you're like, man, I am tired. It is hard. 
there are times that I kind of question, like, man, it, it just seems like I'm not getting, like, like walking with Jesus these days, especially in kind of our, our city, our culture, like, it, it doesn't put you at the cool table, right? Like, you're not winning awards at work because you're a, you know, a, a strong follower of Jesus. Um, and, and at times, I think we get discouraged. And maybe if you're not relating to this, maybe in your own heart, it's, you can probably look around and see that much of our world is feeling this. There's just this tiredness that's, that's kind of happening. And like, man, is, is Jesus really worth it, right? Is, is this really the right decision? Is this really everything that, that it claims to, to be? And, and, and what Hebrews um, resoundingly will say as we walk through it is, yes, 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 he is. Uh, Jesus is worth it. Jesus is, as we're going to call this series, bigger. He is, he is big, and he is worthy of our followership. He's worthy of our worship, and he is the answer to the questions that we are asking, the problems that we are seeking help on. And, and, and it's just this reminder, this encouragement for the church to keep going. And so we find that this is a very contemporary message um, that is happening. And again, the subtitle for the series we're calling uh, Jesus is uh, Better. Um, I want to kind of frame up where we're looking at this morning. We're going to jump in right at the beginning, um, as we often do. We're going to kind of walk our way through it line by line, chapter by chapter. Um, but I want to share a, a kind of a quote from um, C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia. If, uh, I think many of you are probably familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia, but if you're not, it is C.S. Lewis' portrayal of what it means to kind of grow in a Christian experience and, um, and, and, and experience an ever-enlarging uh, Christ is kind of one of these themes that, that is kind of brought out in the Chronicles of Narnia. And Lucy is one of the girls, one of the characters in it, and she um, has been caught up in her uh, spiritual quest. It's been some time since she's seen Aslan, the lion, who represents Christ, and she sees him again, shining white, huge in the moonlight, and in this burst of emotion, she rushes to him, buries her face into her mane, whereas he rolled over and aside, she fell. She's kind of half sitting on him, half lying on his front paws. He bent forward, touches her nose with his tongue, and his warm breath is all around her. And then she gazes up, and she looks into his large, wise face, and she says this, um, or he says this. He says, welcome, child. And she replies, she says, Aslan, you're bigger. And she says, that is because, he says, that is because you are older, little one. And she's a little confused. She says, don't you mean that because, not because you are? Like, aren't you bigger because you're older? And he says, I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. See, the idea is, is that Aslan was not changing size, but as Lucy is growing up, she's realizing just how big of a lion he is, Right? And for us, I think the same thing needs to be true, and that's one of my hopes is going to come out of this book of Hebrews, is that as you grow up and are raised up in your faith, as you spend more time walking with the Lord, more time following Jesus, that you will find out that Jesus is even bigger than you thought he was. He's not growing any bigger, but as you grow, as you get older, as you get wiser, as you're more mature, you're going to find that he's even bigger than you thought. And so this morning, we're calling the sermon a bigger Jesus. We all need this morning a bigger Jesus. Not because, again, he's not bigger, but because he is, we need to realize how big he is. And that's where Hebrews begins. 
um, you know, there's kind of think two ways uh, to get into water if you're going into a swimming pool. I know, you know, for many of you, maybe you've traveled or you've gone to an indoors pool and you've been in a pool lately. Um, those of us that have um, uh, pools or better yet, friends or neighbors with pools, right? Um, uh, you don't want to mess with that. You want your friend or neighbor to mess with that. Then you can get in their pool. But as we like get in pools, right, there's two ways to enter into a pool. Uh, some of you kind of fall in this camp where you slowly kind of walk in, you know, kind of get used to the water, sort of, you know, it takes you about 10 minutes to kind of get all the way, if, if ever, all the way in. And then you have like your kids. What do they do? They kind of run back and or just step back and they run and cannonball in. That's still the way that I like to get in. If it's cold, I'm just going to get all the way in, right? The best way you kind of jump, tuck, and you're just underwater. That is the way that Hebrew starts. There is no introduction, Right? We don't know who the author is. As we walk through, we're going to make some kind of you know, educated guesses. It makes it no less inspired uh, that we don't know who the author is. It was recognized as scripture from the early days of the church. Um, but there's no introduction, and we are not even confident of the audience. Uh, again, we can take some guesses as what to the audience is. I think my best guess would be Acts 18 talks about a group of Jewish Christians that were kicked out of Rome by Claudius. They moved away for a little bit, but then they moved back. And they were under persecution. They were under attack. They were discouraged. They were in and near Rome. So my guess is it's written to the small group of Jewish believers, right? Messianic Jews following Jesus in or near Rome. And it's near the destruction of the temple. It's not, hasn't happened yet, but it's near that. I mean, persecution is mounting. But what happens is like a cannonball, the author just jumps right in and talking all about how big Jesus is. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to tuck our knees, we're going to jump in, and we're just going to kind of go with it and, and go. So if you're ready, say, I'm ready. Ready. Okay, let's jump in. Let's look at this together. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. It says this. You can follow along in your copy or look at the screen together. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in this last days, these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Uh, this word uh, of the Lord here, um, the, the, what we just read, it actually continues on through verse, verse four, but in the Greek is one strong bold, powerful sentence. And what it begins with is unpacking this picture of who Jesus is. To start with, again, cannonball uh, kind of going in of how big Jesus is. And I think we're going to see three ways that, that, that Jesus is revealed as bigger. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Here's the first. Jesus, we're going to see, is bigger in his identity, in who he is. Jesus is bigger in his identity. I want to just kind of draw our attention to a few things that are here in these few verses that we may have missed. You see, for the Jewish people, there were three prominent roles uh, of leadership in the nation of Israel. So with the Jewish people, there were three kind of primary roles that were used by God. Those roles are prophet, priest, and king. Okay, so prophet, priest, and king are three roles used by God to rule over, to help lead, to direct the people. And each of those kind of works in a different way. They had a different impact and, and, and direction for the people. I want to kind of show you this because Jesus, in many ways, is, is replacing this. He's a better version of this. But let's understand what the role would have looked like first. So prophet um, is, 
he would speak to the people for God. So oftentimes, I mean, many of our epistles, or sorry, our, our, our prophets here, the minor and major prophets, right? Like we just studied Daniel. Daniel would be considered a prophet. He had visions and spoke for the Lord to the people. Uh, we often think of like Jeremiah or Isaiah. Uh, there were others though, like Moses was considered um, a, a prophet of sorts. Like a, anyone who spoke for God to the people um, it was the way that God would reveal himself uh, to the people. And you have to understand, I mean, that, that God has been revealing himself and speaking to the people for a long time in many ways and in many places. That's what it says. It says, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Just to kind of remind ourselves, or for those of you that maybe don't understand or don't know, there's so many ways that God has spoken to his people. We see that he spoke to Moses through a burning bush. He spoke to Elijah in a still, small voice. He spoke to Isaiah in that powerful vision in the temple. He spoke to Hosea through some family circumstances. It's a kind way to say it. He spoke to Amos through a basket of summer fruit. God used visions and dreams and angels and symbols and events and fire and smoke to speak to his people. And he didn't just speak in the promised land, in the nation of Israel. God spoke in, in other places as well. He spoke in, the, in Ur of Chaldees. He, he spoke in Haran and Canaan. We see God's voice appear and he speaks in Egypt. And again, we just looked at Daniel where he was in Babylon and God is showing up and he's speaking in Babylon. And so we see that this revelation from God uses variety. God is actively speaking to his people. And maybe we just, before we move on, need to pause there and just, just recognize and be thankful for that. I mean, are we not so glad that God has revealed himself to us? I mean, one thing we have to understand is were it not for God to reveal himself in and of our own selves, we would not have the knowledge of who he is. He has revealed himself to us. It says that he speaks through his creation. Now, you can't learn everything about him through his creation, but you can see some things about him through creation. Right? I mean, you can see just how vast and powerful he is. You can see how creative he is. You see the colors. You see the, the order, the structure. I mean, there's all these things that even our created world speaks to its creator. But he's spoken to us through his word, right? We have many of the prophets' recorded words, right? We have the gospel accounts of Jesus. We have letters written to the early church. All of this, we would recognize and say, this is the word of God. God has spoken to his people. And he has done so, again, at this time when the author is writing, when the preacher is writing here, he's spoken primarily through his prophets. And so many times, many ways, God spoke to our fathers through his prophets. But check this out, look at verse two. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And so one thing we have to recognize is that Jesus fulfills the role of prophet to the people. And different, he's not just like one of a long line of prophets, right? There's other religions, other worldviews, which would just hold that Jesus was a great teacher. He was maybe a good example. He was a kind man. Some would go further and say that Jesus was a prophet, right? There's people that would hold to that Jesus isn't the son of God, but he was a prophet. We would go further and we would say, no, no, he wasn't just the last in a long line of prophets, or a special prophet, we would say he ushered in a whole new age of revelation altogether. Like if you wanted to frame the Bible, you could have creation and fall, you have Israel, and then you have Jesus. 
Like when Jesus came, there was a new revelation that was given. He's saying, listen, in these last days, and we are in the last days, he spoke, God spoke to us by his son. He is the revealed word and will of God is through his son. And so he is the truer, better, greater prophet. Priest, let's look at priest. Priest, what a priest does, a priest shepherds the people of God. So we often think of the temple duties, right? They would go before, we talked a lot about this at Good Friday. The high priest would represent the people on that day of atonement and offer sacrifice. But throughout the year, sacrifices were being made, both in worship and repentance and confession. And the priests were the ones kind of leading in that, but they didn't just do that. They also were there to shepherd and to direct and to guide the hearts of the people. They were trying to point the affections and, and, and thoughts of the people of God back toward God. We see priests go before kings and, and represent God in that way and shepherding and encouraging them to continue to follow after the Lord. And so we see the shepherding work of the priest happening, representing the people before God, but, but more than that, pointing them back toward the worship and right understanding of God. And what we see is that Jesus does that for us. Skip your eyes down to the end of verse three. It says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. After making purification for sins, that was the priest's job. But now we see that's what Jesus did on the cross. He lived perfectly. Have you ever thought about why Jesus didn't just come as a man? right, like a grown man, 30-some years old, just kind of live for a couple years and then go, or just like come, you know, like why didn't he show up a week or two before Easter, do his thing and get out of there, right? He came, was born as a baby, lived a life like you and I so that he could be a sacrifice worthy of, sacri of sacrificing. He was perfect. But then what he did by his blood is he, he made purification for sins. That's the job of the priest. And so he was a, a better, truer, greater priest, for us. And then thirdly, we see the way that his identity is revealed is in this role of king. The king, what did the king do? Well, the king leads the people under God. So the king is responsible to God, but he provides leadership for the people, direction, vision, protection, right? There's leadership that is happening. And we talked like a week or two ago, the weeks kind of blend together sometimes, but we talked about the kings of, of Israel, right? There was good kings, there was mostly bad kings, but, but the kings led the people. And that was the job that they had. But what do we see here? We see, we see that, God, that Jesus is the king. It says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He took the place of honor. God doesn't actually have a right hand, but that's symbolism of the, the place of, of kingship. That's the place of prominence. And so Jesus is king, and he's leading the people. And I love this whole picture of like him sitting down after the purifications of sin. You know, if you've ever had to do a hard job, and I'm sure you have around your house or something, whatever, and, and, and say you're working in the yard, you know, getting that yard all, all cleaned up and ready, or maybe you're, um, you know, helping a buddy move some furniture or, or whatever, and, and after it's done, what do you tend to do? You sit down, right? Because the job's over and you're taking a break. Some of you noticed, because some of you mentioned it to us, but we had on Friday, um, Friday afternoon, right before our Good Friday service, there's this little like half wall that kind of bridges the office and the, 
um, the church building together, it, it fell over. Um, some of you saw that. Like, it was uh, built in the 60s, and, and, and we found out that there was not really a whole lot of reinforcements or anything in there. So it's not structural or anything, but it's kind of a hassle. But of all the time, I mean, it was built, like, seriously, like mid-60s is when it was put, put together. All this time, and it had to happen on Friday afternoon of Good Friday, like right before the service. I'm getting ready to come over from the office, and I look outside, and I'm like, what? Like, when did that happen? Like, the, all these bricks are all over the place. And, um, you know, my, my mind goes to, like, is, is, that, like, is that the enemy trying to attack? I'm like, good one, you know? Like, <laughs> I was, like, taunting him. I'm like, is that the best you got? Like, you're going to knock over a brick? Okay, you know, like, I'm like, bring it. Like, we can handle that. Like, come on. And uh, so, but, but it was kind of a nuisance because, you know, we were hanging out in that front yard on Easter and uh, bouncing and, and donuts and all of that uh, with the kids, and, and we didn't want, like, a brick fight to break out, you know? So all the bricks are out there. And so we got a few guys here on Saturday, and we wheelbarrowed the bricks away and got them, got them done. And so once we got all the bricks away, we got all the, like, kind of, you know, more and stuff kind of cleaned up and everything raked up and it was all clean. You know what the guys did? Nobody told them to. Nobody said anything. What did they do as soon as it's done? Everyone just sat down. And they're just all kind of looking at each other. I'm like, well, I should go get some water. So I ran inside, grabbed some water from the, from the office and they just sat down. Why? Because it was over. Like there was nothing left to move. It was done. So, like, this is the symbol of like just kind of the job's done. He sat down. See, this is the picture that we have of Jesus. He makes purification for sins. And then what does he do? He goes and sits down. He's like, I'm done. That's what I came to do. The job is over. And where does he sit? He sits in this place of honor and power and kingship. He sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so we see him as king. And what he's doing is he's leading the people. And here's the thing is that you and I, we need these roles in our life, right? We need to hear from the Lord. And oftentimes, God uses people to do that right? I mean, it's one of the reasons we're all here with our Bibles open. I get the honor, the privilege of speaking. Oftentimes, I wonder why I don't have anything interesting to say. Anything that's interesting is coming from God's Word, right? But we, we gather, we hear people open God's Word. Many of you subscribe to, like, podcasts or listen to, you know, uh, books or read books or, or, you know, read articles, all that sort of thing. Like, we're, lead, we're, we're trying to hear from the Lord, and God uses people to do that. Not in the same way that He speaks through His Word, but He does kind of communicate. We, we want to hear from, from God, and, and sometimes he can do that. Other times, we need to be shepherded, right? We want to be encouraged and challenged. We want to have people help direct us toward the Lord, and so many of us are in small groups, and we have a small group leader. We have other members in the small group that do that. We have people in our lives that are discipling us and, and shepherding us in, in that way, and then we also, we do want leadership, right? Like, we're a church that believes in leadership, and so we have, we have pastors, we have elders, we have, you know, leaders of ministries kind of directing things and, and guiding, you know, kind of, there's direction there, but here's the thing. Every one of those for the Israelites, every one that you're going to find here are all flawed. We talked about this, like David, king, man after God's own heart, he committed adultery and then killed the husband of the gal he slept with. Right? You have Solomon like chasing his like, 700 wives, I think he had. Right? You have Noah, who you know, could be considered a leader, shepherd of the people. He gets off the boat, and he gets drunk and, gets, and passes out. Right? You have like, other prophets like, like getting scared and, and running and, and, and kind of you know, being all depressed. You got Jonah. He gets a word from the Lord. He gets told what to do. What does he do? He runs in the opposite direction. It takes a fish swallowing him to like throw him back onto land. You have priests who have rebellious sons and, and, and they're kind of making a mess in the temple. Like all of these things, you see the flawed 
ways that, that men and women are, are, are stepping into these roles. And what do you see Jesus do? He comes along and he fulfills perfectly all of this. And so you have to understand something, church. You need to have a bigger understanding of, of Jesus' identity for us. He is our perfect prophet. He communicates perfectly who God is. He is speaking and he is our perfect priest. He is shepherding us and leading us, and he makes purification of our sins before the Father. And he is our king. He is a good leader, director in our lives. He can show us and guide us and direct us, and so we submit and follow his kingship, his leadership in our life. And so we need a bigger understanding of the identity of Jesus in these ways. And that's where the author of Hebrews begins, is right here, is that Jesus is a prophet, he's a priest, he's a king, but not just a prophet, a priest, a king, he is the prophet, priest, and king. Everything else up to this point, everything after is just a shadow of what Jesus is. And so we see that. Not, Jesus just isn't just bigger in his identity. This is number two, if you're writing notes or taking notes, you can write this down. Jesus is bigger in his authority. He's bigger in his authority. And we see his authority kind of played out. There's several descriptors that we have here, and I just kind of want to walk, walk through them with you. There's actually seven. And um, I forgot to uh, give credit to this in the first service, so if you see anyone, just mention that you know, this part kind of was really helpful by Kent Hughes, okay? Um, Kent Hughes was super, super helpful. I don't want to um, steal, but he, he kind of helped summarize these, these words. But there's seven descriptors here um, that, that we have, and, and it begins in verse three. It says, he is the... Um, no, sorry, it begins in the second part of verse two. Whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the word. So that world, there's two of them right there. Um, his, his, his authority comes from, um, number one, he's his inheritor. Jesus is, is the inheritor. Um, as he is the creator, he is the heir to the universe. So all of the universe belongs to him. He's going to inherit the inner. As redeemer, he's bought our souls and he's made us his personal inheritance. And so, so, so if, you, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have been purchased by the blood and you belong to him. And so he is the inheritor. It says that. It says that he appointed the heir of all things, creation of the redeemed. Secondly, we see that he is creator. It says through whom also he created the world. Jesus was not just present at creation. Jesus was the one who spoke creation into existence. All things, Colossians says, were created by him, through him, and for him. And so he was there at creation. He was actively creating. By his word, he created the universe. You know, so many descriptors or ways that we can talk about the expanse of the, of the world, of the universe. But there are 100,000 million galaxies. Each one of those has 100,000 million stars. And each one of those galaxies is 600 trillion miles across. And each one of them is fleeing away in this never-ending expansion. We keep building bigger, bigger telescopes, right? We send them up into space. We kind of cast that, that image out there. We wait to get the image back. And then what do we find? It's even bigger than we thought, right? And, and it says that Jesus created all of this by his spoken word. He created the stars, the moon, the sun. He created the world. And so he's creator, Verse three continues, he is the radiance of the glory of God 
and he uh, is the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. I want to talk first about the upholding the universe. We're going to call that the sustainer. Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. You know, so many times we think about the galaxies and the expanse, but it's infinitely expansive if you start to go like on the micro level, right? Like if you've ever studied atomic, um, you know, uh, kind of the, the atomic make, makeup of things. And I mean, for a long time, like we didn't know atoms were a thing and then we found atoms. And then we like kind of went further down and we're like, oh, the, like atoms are actually made up of, of, of protons and neutrons and electrons. Like there's parts to an atom. Now we're finding, I mean, this microscopic level, we keep finding things that are even, even more kind of made up there. And one of the things that fascinates scientists is like so many times when you talk about um, atomic like energy or things kind of going on, you're like, how is it all being held together? Like the way that there's like energy and things happening, it's like there's some sort of invisible force or some sort of supernatural thing that's kind of like keeping it all together. Listen, this is the sustaining work of Jesus Christ. Like even on the microscopic level, we understand that there is something that's kind of keeping everything in order and from spinning out and kind of going into chaos. And all of this is by his spoken word. You know, a lot of times I think maybe we have this, this view, it's like this static or sort of um, uh, not an active view of God's sustaining work, right? We picture like the Greeks did, like the Greek god, like Atlas, right? Have you seen a picture, a kind of statue of, of Atlas? He's like holding the world on his back. Here, let me show you. It's like I have like pretty much the same physique. So, you know, you can just kind of like figure out, figure out that, right? So he's like holding the world on his back and, it, you know, he looks all like strong and impressive in that. But, but what's happening with Atlas? He's just like statically standing there. Like there's no active toy. He's just like holding it. Jesus is bringing it somewhere. It's not so, like, dismiss the Atlas picture. That's not how Jesus is upholding it. He's upholding the universe by the word of his power. He is bringing it somewhere. There's direction. There's activity. It's an active sustaining that he is doing. Go back to the top of three. It says he is the radiance of the glory of God. He's the radiator. And he is like the sun. He is the source and radiator of divine glory. We would be mistaken if we think of him more as like the moon, right? What does the moon do? The moon reflects the light of the sun. The moon in itself does not have any sort of sunlight or light coming out from it. Rather, it, it like is almost like a mirror, and it, it reflects that. In the same way, you and I are to reflect the glory of God in so much as we can to our watching world. But we are not the source of anything of God's glory, right? But he works through us and shines through us, and so we reflect it. Jesus is different. Jesus is like the sun. He is the radiator. It comes from him. He is the source of divine glory. Not a reflection, but he is part of it because he is God. What does John say? That he, the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is fully God and fully man. And so as fully God, he reflects, he shows forth the radiance of the glory of God. When you behold the sun, you behold the glory of God. He goes on and says that he's the exact imprint of his nature. We could call this the representer. He is the exact representation of the Father's being. To know Jesus is to know God. Again, because he is God. He is everything God is, yet he is separate. He did come as a man. He was fully man. But when he dwelt among us, when he walked on this earth, he represented the exact imprint of God's 
nature. The word that's used here, this exact imprint, is, 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 like, is the same place that we get the word character, right? It, it, and it was used, literally, it, would, it was from a mold when they would make coins, right? They would put the, um, the face of the ruler or Caesar or whoever it was, and they would kind of press it onto the coin. And what you'd be left with is this picture of, you know, whoever's on that coin, and so many people, like it's before smartphones and digital pictures and all of that, right? Many people had never seen Caesar. They'd never seen the king or whatever, but they had some idea in their mind of who he was or what he looked like because they had seen the currency that they held. Much like for us, like none of you guys have ever met or seen a photograph of George Washington, yet I think all of you have a bit of a picture in your mind of what like George looks like, right? Why? Because on our currency, we have this picture of George Washington, and so we have this kind of like a like mushroom-type head, you know, with the little... <laughs> the little um, have you ever done that when you like fold that over and like you can actually make him into a mushroom? This is like... You're going to love that. Like, look at that. He's like an actual, you're going to do that later. I know you will. Um, but like, we have this picture of George Washington, and I don't know if that's actually what he looks like, but, but in my mind, that, that, because that's what I've seen, like, I have this image of George in my mind. Here's the great thing about Jesus. If you've seen Jesus, if you know what Jesus looks like, you know what God looks like. Why? Because he's the exact image that's what it says, right? He replicates the exact imprint of his nature. He represents God. And then to circle back, but let's talk about it again. After making purification for sins, he's the purifier. Jesus is the cosmic sacrifice who paid for our sins with his blood in order to purify us and make us clean. In so many ways that we could illustrate this, but my mind went to as I was thinking about, you know, When's the dirtiest or kind of the most annoying dirty I've ever been in my life? And I was thinking back to my construction days when um, the way that a, a house build begins is the foundation is dug out and then it's poured if you're doing a basement. And then the first thing you have to do is you have to seal that foundation. And so um, when I started in construction, you know, I was one of the like poorly paid teenagers that had to crawl down in that hole and you don't have much room to work with. And so you're kind of trying to like paint and roll this tar on. If any of you have ever done this, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like there's no way to do it clean. And what happens is it's so sticky, so black, so messy, like you can try, like you better, you better not have worn like your good shoes on that day. Like I had like clothes, shoes specifically like set aside for the days that we would tar um, or, or seal a basement because you end up, like there's no way to get out of there clean. And the thing that happens is, is like you don't even know where it starts coming from. Like you'll bump it the first time and then pretty soon it's like, well, where, how did I get that? And then like next thing you know, like it's on your hair and it's all like, for the next three days, like you're showering and you're still finding places. You're like, I didn't know. It is a mess. You're dirty, you're marked by it. I was going to show you like a picture or something, so I was, I was Googling, and the first thing that popped up was this YouTube video. It was too long, and it didn't really serve well, but I'll just kind of summarize it for you. This DIYer and his wife were doing it, and like at the end, he totally, he's out of it, and he's like, man, look at me, I'm a mess. Like He was just like covered in this tar. He's like, I, I got to go get cleaned up, and I know what he was going to do. He's going to go scrub with like mineral spirits or you know, something like that. It's like you'd bathe in this stuff to get this thing off to try and get clean again, right? Am I right? Anyone? Like, yeah, I'm seeing some nodding heads. So some of you who have done this, you know. That's the only way to get clean. And here's the thing. We talked all about this on Friday, but we have been marred by sin. You might enter, you might try hard to keep yourself pure, keep yourself clean, but we are marked by sin. We have fallen short. We have the stain of sin. Sin stains. It stains us. And as hard as we try, I mean, it spreads. It's like, what, how do we do this? What, how do we get clean? 
the only way that we are made pure from our sins is by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that purifies us from our sins. So there is no other formula. There is no one else. There is no other way. And so Jesus is the purifier. We have to understand how special and how important and how needed this is. We have no other way to the Father but through Jesus Christ. And he's made a way. And then he rules. He's the ruler. Again, we looked at this, but let's look at it again. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He sits, having paid for our sins. He's the supreme priest. He is the ruling king. And he is at the right hand of the majesty in exaltation. And as wonder of wonders, he prays for us. He rules over us. And so this is his authority. So when we think about the things that Jesus has effect over and can speak into, I mean, what, what area is not touched by his authority as inheritor, as creator, as sustainer, as radiator, as representer, as purifier, as ruler? I mean, he has authority over our lives. So the question is not so much, does Jesus have rightful authority, but have we given him that authority, that rightful authority in our own lives? Right? Do we recognize his authority? Do we recognize the sustaining work that he is doing and, and is actively doing in our lives? Right? Do we understand this? Jesus is bigger in his authority. And thirdly, Jesus is bigger in his power. He's bigger in his power. You know, that list we just looked at shows all the ways that he has power over things. He has power over creation. He has power over us. He has power to work and to will. And the reality is this. I think sometimes we forget that Jesus has power. I think many of you probably either have or will. <laughs> I know you will. You have or are, are currently in some sort of trial, wilderness, something like that. Right? And it's in those wildernesses sometimes I think we forget the sustaining power of Jesus. But if you were to look at any person, any character that God used in Scripture, you would probably see pretty prominently, without having to look too hard, a wilderness or sort of a trial period. Right? David, after being anointed king, was fleeing from Saul. Right? The Israelites, being given the promised land, were wandering in the wilderness Right before, before they were able to enter in. Even Jesus, before beginning his earthly ministry, he was a, baptized by John, and then he was led into the wilderness and was tempted by the evil one. We see this wilderness in that, but what, what, what God uses in all of these is he brings about sanctification, he brings about growth, he brings about development, right? Like even Jesus, he didn't need to be sanctified, but God used that to strengthen and to grow him and to, you know, even more than he, he was. That was kind of the humanity side of it. He, he was able to walk through that. And sometimes I think we forget God's power to affect peace and change in our life. Let me read you a promise. It's not gonna be on the screen. Let me just read it to you. It's Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. It says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. How many times do we take hold of this promise? Do we really believe that God has rest for our souls? If we're honest, I think so many times we don't think, like, rest? Rest? Like, God has rest for me? 
We think we have to work harder, or do more. Like, when's, when's the rest coming? But he says, if you labor, if you're heavy laden, I will give you rest. You know, one of the things that we're gonna be looking at as we go through this book together is gonna be a greater understanding, a better understanding of Jesus' power over and in our lives. One of the prominent verses that we're gonna come to in time is one that maybe you know and you've memorized, but it's Romans 12, one and two. I'll put it on the screen for you. It says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. See, that is so much of the message of, of Hebrews. Again, writing to tired, discouraged followers of Jesus and saying, don't give up, right? Hold the faith. Don't throw in the towel. Like, don't give up on Jesus. Run with endurance. Keep going. And so many of us, we hear that. And we're like, okay, yes, that's encouraging. Tell me how. How do I do it? How do I keep going? That's what verse two says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you wanna know how to finish the race with endurance? Do you wanna know how to keep going? You look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith. See, so many times we have our eyes fixed on the trial, on the problem, on the issue, on the relationship, whatever it might be, we're, we're fixed on that. And what Hebrews is telling us is take your eyes off of that and look to Jesus. Put your eyes on him. Put your attention on him. Set your mind upon the things of God and these things will be added to you, right? Like this is what, what Hebrews is saying to us. And so church, this is so, so good for us. We need a better picture of Jesus. We need to understand that Jesus is bigger, right? That he is better. He is greater than our trials, greater than our difficulties, and he is at work in this. Make no mistake, we will go through difficulties as these faithful believers were. But what they saw is that Jesus is better and that he was working on their behalf. As we go through trials, my hope is this, is that we would have those same eyes that Lucy had with Aslan. Remember her? That's where we started. That just like Lucy that after walking through and setting our eyes, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, that we would say, Lord, you're bigger. You're bigger than I remember. You're bigger than the last trial I went through. You're bigger than the last, last difficulty. And that God would respond, that's because you've grown, my child. And we'll ask, not because you are, not because you're bigger. And they'll say, I am not. Every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Listen, our Jesus is big. Our God is big big. When Lucy heard that, she was so happy that she didn't want to speak for a while. We praise God that he has spoken and that he has revealed himself to us and that we can find him sufficient, that we can find him worthy, that we can find him bigger each and every time that we go to him. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your revealed word to us. God, for showing us who you are, for, for God, showing us your character, God, showing us your identity, your ability. Lord, the power that you hold. 
And Lord, I just want to ask for forgiveness for my own heart. I ask you to forgive the times when I take my eyes off you. And Lord, the times when I am more distracted, more discouraged by the problems, the difficulties, the challenges that I face. And Lord, I forget your unmatched power. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us as a church for the times when we have the small faith. Lord, a faith that looks to what we can do in our own ability, but Lord, forgets just how great your ability is. Lord, help us to put our eyes back on you. Jesus, thank you that you've given us this picture. Lord, I pray that you would guide our hearts into a fuller understanding, got a fuller faith in you as we walk through this book together over these weeks to come. Lord, I pray that you would increase our faith that you'd remind us, that you would teach us, God, that you would show us in new ways just how big you are. And that as we look to you again, that we would find you even bigger than we knew you were. Lord, thank you. Thank you for that truth that we see and find in your word. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.